Good morning, Orangewood. What great time of worship. And in that last song, we saw the whole uh, connection between the sovereignty of God and our everyday life. We're going to be getting back to that. But Sunday is a great time because we get to lift up the God of the universe and honor him. And remember, every Sunday is Resurrection Day, isn't it? Uh, we remember the tomb is empty and so is the cross. And we get to worship a great God who came in human flesh and made us free, free from sin and death and hell. But today happens also to be another interesting day. It's Veterans Day. Uh, for those uh, we remember today, those who fought uh, for our country and for us to be free. And so if you are a vet, if you're a veteran, if you served, would you please stand up so we can, if you are able to stand up right now, if you're a veteran, we want to honor you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Your country thanks you, we thank you. I saw this morning on TV several warriors interviewed on Fox Channel this morning, and it was interesting how all of them said that they would rather be identified as a warrior than as a hero. And the reality is a culture needs warriors. And as I've talked about that, uh, as we follow Jesus and serve him and advance his kingdom, we are spiritual warriors as well. Well, we have much to be thankful for on this day. So uh, before we look to God in his prayer, let's, uh, in his word, let's bow our hearts in prayer together. Let's pray. Our great God, how we thank you for your goodness to us. How we thank you for uh, your great love, and, and Lord, in so many ways, as we have sung this morning, as we think about your power and your mercy and your love and how you've shown that love to us in so many ways. And Father, how easy it is for us to get a hard edge to our lives, to get moving so fast we forget to allow your love into our lives. We're trying to enjoy, we're trying to, to mitigate our own pain. Lord, we come to you today, and we adore you, we honor you, we worship you as the, the God who is high and holy and lifted up and yet has come near in Jesus. We thank you for your love and mercy and grace in our lives. And Lord, we, we have confessed our sins. We do confess our sins, for we're not in this place here to earn our salvation. We haven't come here today to impress you, but to humble ourselves before you to say that we needed a Savior at one time and we still need that same Savior today, every day of our lives. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our Savior, for being the only one who could represent us before the Father, fulfill the law and take our curse. But as your people today, we come and we ask for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for our vets. We thank you for those who've served in so many ways in the front lines, behind the lines, uh, but Lord, we pray that our country would come together with a, a greater sense of unity, that we would have that power to love each other, even if we disagree with each other. And may that start in the church. Father, you know our needs. You know those who are struggling with illness in this church family, those who need healing, and there are many. Those who are going to be fighting uh, big uphill battles for health, and we commit them to you. And Father, those who need the resources to pay the bills, Lord, give us uh, the ability 
uh, to support them and their needs. But Father, also, we, we do pray for our missionaries. We thank you, Lord, that they represent us wherever they are in this world. And so we pray for them. Use them in a powerful way. And now open our hearts and our minds to you as we, as we look into your word. You be the teacher. Holy Spirit, would you show up in a powerful way and make this psalm clear to us and make it applicable and practical in our lives. So we pray for the one who teaches that you'd use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth because we want to hear the Father's voice now as we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, so what if, what if you had all of the inside information when it came to the stock market and you could legally trade perfectly uh, and know all of the inside, you had all of the inside information and somehow you got it legally and, and, and you had all the inside scoop, but you didn't use it. How about that? Of course, that never happened. Number one, that'd never be legal. Number two, you'd never get that. But that never, okay, it never happened. But what if, what if you had all of the capacity and wisdom to build a great life? You had all of the knowledge of what it took to build a great life and didn't do it. That actually did happen. What if uh, you were voted in high school or college, the most likely to succeed. But when they wrote the biography of your life, uh, the title of it was the most unlikely failure of all times. There is a person that fits that category. You know who I'm talking about? His name is Solomon, and he's going to be our teacher today. Only the best for you here uh, at Orangewood. But the reality is, is that Solomon is one of those guys that when you look at his words, they are absolutely needed to be studied. They need to be studied and researched. And you got to look at everything he wrote in the Bible. And you've got to studiously avoid his life because his life was an utter disregard of all of the wisdom and truth that God could provide for building a life. We are going to be talking about building a life here today from Psalm 127. And, and, and Solomon is a guy who God used in a powerful way to give us truth that he studiously avoided in his own life. So that at the end of his life, his kingdom was a mess. His family life was even messier. And he is not one of the kings that we look at in history. And we say, hey, look at what he did. We look at him and go, man, look what he did. So Solomon was the third king of Israel. He was David's son. Uh, he was given the gift of wisdom. Early in his career, early as he started out as a king, God gave Solomon the gift of wisdom. And wisdom is different from knowledge. Knowledge and wisdom are related. Knowledge is the ability to understand that which is true. Wisdom is the ability to skillfully apply into your life that which is true. Wisdom is the skillful application of knowledge. Solomon had it. And he didn't apply it. I was uh, told the other day that on Tuesday we had a professor from UCF attend uh, one, uh, our site in Oviedo, uh, our Forge site in Oviedo, and his job was teaching engineers how to relate to people. <laughs> I like that. Um, as I, and I love engineers. You know, he, but he was teaching them, don't just live in your head and don't just live with facts, live in relationship. Man, we're all learning still about how to do that well, aren't we? But the reality is it takes wisdom to do that. So we're going to be talking about how to build a life in Psalm 127, wisdom. 
uh, not just facts, but skillful application of knowledge. Now, this is a wisdom psalm, one of two that Solomon wrote. He wrote these uh, psalm, this Psalm 127, and I believe it's 72. He also wrote uh, Song of Songs, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So they're great books uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. Uh, they are inspired. This is also called a Psalm of Ascents, which is a psalm that the pilgrims would sing coming up to Jerusalem to worship. And so it's a powerful psalm, five verses, uh, 105 words or something like that. Here we go. This is God's inspired word meant to be applied to our life. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed late eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. What a powerful passage. This is in the wisdom literature of the New Testament. And here in the Old Testament, and what we find here is we find Solomon teaching the Old Testament people how to build a life. That's why it's called a wisdom psalm. This is not just teaching us things about God, but how to apply the truth of God in our everyday life. And so it's interesting that there is a big truth here as it starts off. And if you get nothing else today, I hope you get something else, but if you only get the one thing, I want you to get this big truth. Students, students, this is important. This is saying that if you get this big truth in the trajectory of your life and build on it consistently for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you will build a great life. Young adults, if we get, we, didn't Brandy say a couple of weeks ago that if you're 40 and under, you're a young adult? I think she said that. Well, I'm not, but you young adults, if you get this trajectory in your life, you will build a great life. What about the rest of us? Over the hill. Are you kidding me? Every phase of life is different, and we ought to be growing in every phase of life. And if we get this principle right, if we get this truth right, we'll build a great life, even if it means we have to undo some things in the past and start over and move ahead uh, into the future. The big point, the lasting truth is this. All lasting good comes from God, and a good life can only be built by God. That's the point. All lasting good comes from God. And the good life can only come from God. Now, that's Solomon's big truth from this psalm, Psalm 127. All lasting good comes from God, and only God, a good life can only be built by God. Let me hammer on that uh, nail for a, a couple of minutes here. He's saying very clearly, only God can help us build our life well. Only God can actually build our life well. That's, that's his point. Only God has the ability to give you and me the ability to handle suffering and loss and trauma and tragedy and even success. Only God can do that in our life. Uh, Catch this. 
only God has the ability, this is important for us as Presbyterians. And if you didn't know, this is a Presbyterian church, by the way. This help, this is really important for us. Only God is the one who is able to build us to be accurate and loving at the same time. And it's important for us to be accurate, isn't it, in terms of the Bible? Absolutely it is. We need to be biblically, but only God can make us biblically accurate and not insufferable to be around. Steve Brown has written a book recently, and he told me that he just turned it into the publisher, and the publisher changed the title of it, but what he wanted to uh, uh, have the title be is how to, how to follow Jesus without being insufferable. We have insufferable people in our church, not here, today, in our fam, not in, but in the Presbyterian, in our family, our broader family. Do we have some prickly pears? I was thinking about that idea of prickly pears. Is there such a thing? Google that for me, not now, later, and let me know. Is there such a thing as prickly pears? I don't know. But there are prickly people in our denomination, aren't they? They are accurate, accurate, accurate. And they're mean and nasty. They're kind of the people you don't invite over to your house for a community. I remember when I was being examined in our presbytery, this was several years ago, as you can imagine, and I was, I was standing in front of about this many people, uh, elders, pastors from all the churches in central Florida, that's the presbytery. I was standing there being examined, and they were asking me questions. It was a very intimidating situation to be in. You're going to face that, George, one of these days. It's, uh, it'll come to all of us. We have to stand there. And this one guy sitting in the front row is one of the pastors in our, our presbytery who loved to smile and then take a knife and just kind of stick it in and turn it, you know? And so I remember him asking me this question that I, I, I had no, I, I was actually crushing the exam. I was doing, I was taking notes on myself. It was so good. I was, and then he asked me a question that I, I didn't understand the question. I didn't understand the question. I asked him three times that, would you please repeat, would you please repeat that? And you know, you're trying trying to hold it together. And, and I, I didn't even understand the question. I had a friend sitting in the front row and he kept looking at me and he was mouthing the words. This is what he was saying. He was saying, just say yes. <laughs> he was mouthing the words, just say yes. So I looked at him and I said, yes, yes. And he left me alone. It was so good. I went on. I got ordained, believe it or not. I really did. It was, it, was a, it was so good. But there are some people in our family, and I've learned he was not the only one. And, and, and there's so many of us like that. I, he could have been a whole lot nicer. I could be a whole lot nicer. Students, catch this. You need to be good thinkers, biblically and intellectually about your career and your chosen career. You need to be good thinkers, but not just so you'll get a good job. We need Christians out there who know the truth, but we've got to hold our truth in love. That's what Paul says. But speaking the truth in love, holding to the truth in love. Um, that's what we're to be. A cartoon of this guy standing in heaven in front of St. Peter. And... Uh, He's looking in the book and he says, yes, your name's in here. You're a Christian. You just forgot the part about not being a jerk about it. (laughs) If God is not building our life, if the spirit of God is not involved, uh, we will never be able to build a life that is biblically accurate, intellectually uh, sound and gracious and kind at the same time. 
We need to do that. We have to do that. Only God has the ability to help us build a life like that. Only God has the ability to build a life that roots out anger, bitterness, and forgiveness. Would you agree with me? Have you ever tried to let go of anger? I bet some of you are holding on to something here today. And if I get close to closing time and you're looking at your watch and it looks like it stopped and you might get a little angry at me. But I mean, I'm talking about deep-seated stuff. Bitterness and anger that is hard to let go. Only God can help us build a life that can, can deal with that. Only the gospel can set us free. Only God has the ability to help us build our lives to root out that poison. Uh, only God has the ability to help you and me deal with success or failure. Uh, if God doesn't, see, Solomon's saying, if God doesn't build your house, and your house represents your whole life, your family and your whole life, if God doesn't help you build your house, it's going to be in vain. If God is not the one who gives you security in life, by the way, where do you go for security? What do you run to for security? But if God doesn't do it, it's, the life that we build is in vain. Vain, vanity is one of Solomon's favorite words. In Ecclesiastes, in 12 chapters, he uses that word 19 times. Vanity. He was always thinking, what's vanity, what's empty, and what's filled with substance? Um, uh, all lasting good comes by God, and only God can help build a good life. Now, that is radical, isn't it? Do you catch how radical that is? Because our philosophy in America is, if it's going to be, it's up to me. If it's going to be, it's up to me. So we have this humanistic philosophy operating in America, and, 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 and Solomon stresses the primary role of God. All right, can we talk? Can we be honest? Uh, that's pretty radical. If you're going to build a good life, it has to be God doing it. But don't we have to have human responsibility in building that life? You think it's a trick question, don't you? Doesn't there have to be some human responsibility? Yeah, of course. I mean, if you want a great career, just sit at home, watch TV, and just wait for somebody to call you up. Hey, can we interview you? No. You got to go out. You got you to get uh, trained. You've got to interview. You've got to prepare. And you've got to hopefully make some opportunities. And so that's, that's very, very important. I used to tell my sons when they were younger and they first started noticing girls, you know, dad's got to tell them what to do. I said, it's not about dating. It's about interviewing. <laughs> it's about interviewing. You, you know, dating's overrated. What you got to do is figure out what kind of girls you like to be around. I know the pretty ones, but the, the ones you like to be around that you get along with. And as you get older, you got to find the ones that are following Jesus. And as you think about marriage, you got to think about somebody that wants to follow Jesus. And you got to do a lot of interviewing. If you don't do the interviewing, then Miss Perfect is not going to show up. Another guy doing the interviewing is going to find her. Human responsibility is important, isn't it? If you've got an addiction to fight, God, take it away, but you don't do anything to fight it. No. If you're dealing with anger issues or, or impatience, things like that, you've got to take responsibility for it. I do too. So there's this tension. I grant you that tension is there. And it's, it's all throughout theology. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, right? Isn't that there? Did you see that in that last song? Did you see that? God is sovereign in every way. And some of you are saying, what does sovereign mean? It means God is the supreme king of heaven and earth. That means no one is even close in control to his power. He is sovereign. 
sovereign over everything. But we have some responsibility too, don't we? Yes, we do. Uh, how does that relationship of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility go together? It's a challenge. So someone says this, pray as if God does everything and work as if we do everything. Pray as if God does everything and work as if we do everything. What do you think about that? Now, don't, don't answer to that because that is a trick question. I'm trying to trip you up. It's clever. That, that comment is clever, but it's unbiblical. Solomon is making the point that, of course, we are going to exercise human responsibility in making our life work. The problem is we overemphasize our role. And so he swings the pendulum far to the other side, and he says, you can't live that way. It'll kill you. God has to be the center of everything. All lasting good comes from God, and a good life can only be built by God. That's the main point that he's trying to do. Now, it is true that there are some people who are codependent on others to make their life work, a little demanding, a little entitled, and there are some people who are mega independent. Solomon is really bringing us back to this point that only God can build a great life. Now, with that in mind, let's talk about the gospel truth. Because, because what we see here is that Solomon is writing about 970 years before Jesus was born. And he's saying, he's saying uh, the way we build our life is to, is to let God build it and we follow the, the precepts of God. You say, well, we're on the other side of the cross now. How does this apply to us? Here, here's how it goes together. In the Old Testament time, the Old Testament uh, leaders, teachers, prophets, writers, biblical writers were all looking ahead to the cross, weren't they? They were looking ahead to the coming of Jesus. But the Israelites have a major history of being redeemed by grace. Where were they enslaved? Talk to me. Egypt, that's right. They were in Egypt. How many years were they in Egypt? Four hundred years years. And along comes Moses that God raises up and gets the Israelites out of that environment and gets them to the, ten, gets them to the, mount, uh, uh, the mountain where the Ten Commandments are given. God got Israel out. What is the Passover all about? It's celebrating the gracious redemption of Israel out of bondage. God could say to the Israelites, by grace, you have been Saved. Did God have to get the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt? No, he didn't have to. He wanted to. It was of his grace. And so they brought him to the Ten Commandments, the mountains of the Ten Commandments, gave him the Ten Commandments, not as a means, catch this, it's so important, not as a means to be saved, but as a means to live and build their life after they were, what? Saved. This is so important. And so now we are on the other side of the cross and we look back. They looked ahead in faith to coming of Messiah. And they had sacrifices that talked about how sins could be redeemed and taken care of if the blood of the animal was shed. But they were always looking ahead to Jesus. And all of those sacrifices looked ahead to the one great sacrifice that he would give us. So that it so that Christianity is not, is really a, a blood-based relationship with God, but not the blood of animals, 
the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's important to understand that the people in, 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 in the Old Testament were looking ahead in faith as redeemed people by grace, and they built a life based on God's precepts. Same thing is true for us. We are saved by grace through faith in the work of Christ, and we our life is built on the precepts as God gives them, but on the work of Christ as Christ energizes our lives. What I'm trying to convey this is this point that all throughout human history, God has been at the center of building lives. All good comes from God. And the good life can only be, be built if God does it by grace, through faith in him and his work. And so the good life has always been that way. It's always come that way. And it will always be that way. So the application for us as a, as a Christ follower, some of us have been following Jesus for a long time, way back since the time of the King James Version of the Bible. And, and, and we've gotten used to doing our own thing and leading our own life. We've gotten used to constructing our life, calling the shots. Some of you are wired just like me. You're, you're comfortable with making decisions and calling the shots. I love people and have a wonderful plan for their life. I don't, have, I don't have a problem telling them what to do. And I can get that way with God. So some of us who have been following Jesus for a very long time need to come back to this point and remember that the good life can only be found if God is building it and we're turning to him on a regular basis to build our life. Some of us have to humble ourselves, come back to him and say, am I following you right? Am I going where you want me to go? And some of you maybe have never, ever put your faith in Jesus Christ. And we invite you to do that because you're calling the shots of your life. And some of you are saying it's not turning out so good. So we want to introduce you to the person who can make your life really work. Uh, and that's Jesus. Join the membership class. Uh, talk to me afterwards. Talk to somebody about um, receiving Christ as your savior so that you can get the good life built. Because the good life has always been built. By grace through faith in the work of Christ. Now let's get practical and wrap this up and look at some life applications that are so powerful here uh, about building and security. Uh, because Solomon says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Building and security. We want to build our lives and we want security. I don't think there's anybody here that would say, no, I don't want to build my life. I just want to float along. I don't want security. No, we all want that. So let's talk about family real quick, because as Joshua said, we've got to make a decision. As for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. Now, this is important in building our house. Our house is our family, and many of you are single, and uh, I, I want you to know that uh, in this text, he is going to be talking about the nuclear family here, and it's not in a way to diminish you. Uh, some of you have, have, are married but have not had the opportunity to have kids, and so this could be seen as offensive for you, and it's not intending to be that at all. What Solomon is trying to point out is that in God's economy, the, the nuclear family unit has always been sort of the center of, of what he's done in building Israel, building the church, and building every, every culture. It's making the point that it's the center of, of, of most cultures. By the way, we as a church are a family, aren't we? 
the body of Christ. We're a family. And as Joe Aldrich once said, uh, the family circle ought to be an open circle. So our individual families ought to be open circles into which others can come. And the church family circle ought to be an open circle into which others are invited and are able to come. And, and, and that's why it's so important for us to be a part of community groups. Chuck Berry, you got to talk to him. If you're not in a community group, you got to get plugged in because we need that, don't we? We want that. It's part of the family aspect. Uh, of, 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 the, of the church. Now, talking about the nuclear family, men, can we talk for a minute? Because this kind of puts you at point. Guys who are married, guys who aren't married yet, guys that have families. Uh, it puts you at the very center of this. By the way, in the bulletin, as talking about marriage, it says that Karen and I have been married 38 years. We've been married 39 years. The best 39 years of her life, I want you to know. <laughs> And if she, if she wasn't following Jesus, I'd be in trouble. Family's so important. I, 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 I didn't want to do it wrong. I wanted to do it right. I wanted to break the cycle in my own family. And when it comes to raising kids, that's so important. Mutual submission has to take place in a family, doesn't it? But guys, you got to be at point. The men are supposed to be the leaders. Today at lunch, when you're having roast pastor, uh, get out Ephesians chapter 5. Read Ephesians chapter 5 because it teaches how we're to lead and love our wives as Christ leads and loves the church. So that's, that's absolutely important. But men, family leadership is your main role. It's not a subsidiary role. It's your main role. It's our main role. It's not just going out there and bringing home the bucks. Family has got to be a main role for us and seeing how we lead with our wives, uh, building a family. Now, it's true that kids eventually show up and it's an important part of family, building a house. Kids are very important. It, it seems that America is following Western Europe. Um, we're having fewer and fewer kids per family. It takes 2.1 kids per family to keep and sustain a culture's population uh, many of the countries in Western Europe at 1.6, 1.3, and we're seeing that decline. I don't know how they get 2.1, frankly, but there it is. I've, I, I'm not good at math, but I don't think that exactly works, but around there. Um, kids are important. I love seeing large families. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, a large number of children means a large number of trials. <laughs> It's true. Oliver North spoke at the Man in the Mirror Gala on Friday night. They had 900 people there, and he was talking about his four kids and 17 grandkids. It was fun to talk, hear him talk about maybe not remembering all of their names. No, he said, I know their names. And they always call me by my first name, Sir. <laughs> um, I like that. I love being a dad, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's crucial in our world today, for our men to take leadership responsibilities in there. Um, I, I, I prayed when we started having kids, I wanted some straight arrows that God, based on this text, that God would give me some straight arrows to send out into this world, that he'd give me the opportunity to develop them. And uh, guys, that's a big leadership thing that we do. Leading our family. Solomon's perspective is crucial to keep in mind when our kids are young. He says, children are a heritage from the Lord. When they're tearing it up in your house, 
When your grandkids are over and you wish the rapture would take place right then and there, you got to remember they're a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a, they're a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemy in the gates. Moms and dads, you got to work together. But interesting, isn't it? He talks to the dads. Because it's easy for us as dads to want to walk away and not be involved. He wants us to see uh, our, our kids as gifts, as rewards, as a heritage, not as inconveniences. And he says to the men, guys, take the long view of developing your kids. How do I know this? Because he says, he says you, you want to develop straight arrows to have in your quiver. And that takes time to make an arrow straight. Something that when it flies, it makes a difference. It makes a, in the warrior's sense, a positive contact. It takes time to do that. He says, dads, look ahead. Take the long view. Not what they are now, how squirrely they are or can be. But take the long view of what they could become as leaders, as influencers, as elders, as deacons, as, as, as business leaders, male and female in our community. Take the long view uh, as you d- develop your kids. I love what one commentator said about children. He said, the greater their promise, the more likely that these sons will be a handful before they are a quiverful. <laughs> True? Yes. It's, it's fun watching. You know, sometimes after church, I stay out here and talk. And I usually talk until they start rolling up the carpets. And I was, I was seeing uh, Andy Lockhart and Andrew Lockhart working side by side. And then they brought up Jack Lockhart, that little wild Philistine. <laughs> Cute as can be. I'm this great. Three generations. For Andy to, to see their, his son, then look at a grandson. Covenant community, the body, we help each other. Guys, you can't raise your kids by yourself, and you shouldn't. You need other men and other teams of guys to help you do that. Straight uh, arrows invites us to look uh, in the long haul. And so that, so that, you see, what happens is that at the end of the day, when you are standing in the gate, you see, the gate was the town hall, the gate were the courts, and, and, and it could very well be that a man at some point would be brought into litigation, and he has to come before the elders, and he has to sit at the gate. And what this picture that Solomon puts here is of a man who is brought before uh, the elders up on some sort of moral charges. And what he does is he brings his sons that are standing there with him. And the one making the moral charges against him looks at him and looks at these sons that he's developed, these children that he's developed, and and sees that he's been a man of integrity. Taking the long haul and pouring in and building is so crucial, so important. Work. We build our families. We build our work. But let me say, I'm not going to talk a lot about this. You're looking at your watches. I'm almost done. In most of human history, they never used the word career. Career is a new word, relatively speaking. Men, families, worked to build their families. They didn't exist for a career. It's important for us to keep that in mind. Is it bad to have a career? No, are you kidding? 
No, it's, it's important. But Solomon puts it in perspective. This is one of the best verses on work. It's vain that you rise up early, go to bed late, eating the anxious bread of, uh, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Another Hebrew translation of that is he gives to his people even in their sleep. I like that translation a little bit better, but some of you are saying, I can't wait to put on the game today because I'm going to have sleep, the holy nap, Sunday, the Sabbath. Why do we rest? We rest because we are trusting God that he's going to oversee our work in the meantime. Work, work hard, but trust God in the long term and then security. Security only comes if God is over us and watches us. I love the passage in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Um, Only God can bring good to our lives. Only God can build our lives. Only God can give us security. And so it is to him that we go. God is sovereign. We're responsible, that's true. But Solomon's call is a call to make us go back and see who really is, we sang it this morning, the one great love. Jesus. The one great love of your life, the one who loves you, more than you recognize is Jesus. And that's why we look to him to build our lives. You take it to heart, but will you pray that I continue to take it to heart too? Let's pray. Our Father, we do bow before you right now. And we want you to build this house called Orangewood. Lord, we give ourselves to you. We're thankful that you you are not done with us, but you have a plan for us that is good and full. We thank you for our leaders who do far more behind the scenes than we even know that they do. We thank you for those who are part of the ministry day in and day out in their faithfulness. We thank you for the moms and the dads. We thank you for all those those who are not married and serving in powerful ways. Father, we thank you for those with children in this world and in the next. And Lord, we commit ourselves to you. And we ask that as we go out of here this week, we would remember that only you can build our lives. The only good in our life really comes from you. Cause us to lean on you every second. And we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' strong name. Amen.